0: Well, what we all need going into this weekend is a bluffer's guide to the 2021 federal budget. Um, G'day, um, um, welcome to Lunch Money, uh, your online home for special situations, workouts and capital raising professionals. My name is Nick Samios, I am the uh, director here and fund manager at Hermes Capital and uh, I am your Lunch Money host. So very well welcome and uh, thanks for joining us. Like I say, um, look, there's a lot of uh, material obviously that flies around in budget week, lots of analysis, um, but the analysis tends to be from a lot of different points of view, from the consumer point of view. uh, from Mum and dad, wage earner point of view. Um, what, what I wanted to do today was to give us uh, what I'm calling a bluffer's guide for small business advisors. If you're a finance broker, an accountant, a lawyer, um, or a small business owner yourself, uh, what are the key takeouts of this budget, that you, the stuff that you really need to know uh, that's going to make a difference in your life? Uh, I've got two, uh, two uh, practitioners uh, to uh, help us uh, walk through the budget, and we'll get to them in just a moment. Um, and just a reminder to um, to share, like, or subscribe to uh, our podcast, or if you're watching us on YouTube, um, to, to help us uh, reach more people and uh, make the whole thing uh, a lot more fun. Uh, okay, well, without further ado, I am going to introduce our first guest today, and that's Gino Malacco. G'day Gino, how are you?
1: Hi, Nick. How are you? Very well, good, how are you?
0: Good, good indeed. So Gino is a tax partner at uh, Hall Chadwick and uh, he wrote this, uh, which is the Hall Chadwick's um, Hall Chadwick's uh, client guide to the budget um and uh, it's quite it's it's quite uh, detailed and succinct at the same time i suppose it's a, a sort of a 14 page document but i thought that uh, since he'd obviously put a lot of his own uh, personal effort and attention to it then why not get him in on to, to step us through it um but before we get on to that gino um, what's been keeping you busy this week aside from putting together um the budget guide
1: uh well second tuesday of of, of may is is uh about as exciting for accountants as what the first Tuesday of November is for most pundits. But uh, uh, the, the budget's obviously been keeping me busy this week, but uh, also uh, we've got tax lodgements due uh, just around the corner, so uh, that's, that's been occupying quite a bit of my time.
0: So and uh, is, is that just normal sort of run of the mill stuff? Is it any different this year to what it was last year?
1: Oh, I mean, in terms of the compliance area, there's the, the uh, it's it, it's pretty much what goes on every year around you know mid May, early June. Um, you know, there's uh, being the tax partner here. There's been a lot of other things that we've been working on as well, including there's been some class rulings that we've been doing with the tax office and trying to get to the bottom of uh, negotiations with that. Um, so, they've been progressing quite well. We've had uh, good results on on some of those, and we're still. Uh, working on some others, so um, yeah, it, it, it has been a pretty, pretty busy time for the last uh, last couple of weeks, and especially the last week.
0: And how does it work there I, I, um, within Hall Chabrick? Obviously, you've got a lot of a lot of partners. Uh, I yes. mean, are you the sort of uh, the in-house tax specialist, or uh, I mean, I yeah, suppose I'm, all accountants. Have to, yeah,
1: yeah, I am the in-house tax specialist, or, or one of, but the the, the primary one in, in, in the firm. Uh, So I I deal with a lot of the uh, external matters for for clients, you know, as I said, negotiations with the ATO, class rulings, private rulings, uh, as well as taxation opinions and taxation advice. So anything that goes outside the ordinary um, normally comes across my desk or my team's desk and uh, it filters through me.
0: And so you'd be talking to the tax office fairly regularly?
1: On different matters, yeah. I mean, the last couple of weeks, I've been talking to them very regularly for the uh, the class ruling I've been working on, as well as uh, uh, getting an objection over the line for another client. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes you can go quite a long time without necessarily talking to them, and other times you're speaking to them on a regular basis.
0: Just, just, I mean, just to sort of uh, dumb down the class ruling for people that don't know what a class ruling is, just, just explain sure. that briefly.
1: Sure. Uh, class ruling really normally affects as the name suggests a class of taxpayer in this case here it's all of the shareholders of a particular company Um, so rather than every single shareholder of a company actually making an application to the commissioner of taxation in terms of the tax aspect of a particular transaction um, the company can do it uh, on behalf of all of the relevant um, uh, shareholders Um, Similar to, I guess, a, a class action for litigation purposes, where uh, you know the, uh, there's a couple of people uh, who represent, or the the lawyers who represent a class of taxpayer, and anyone within that class is uh, bound by or, or can can rely upon that particular ruling. So, okay. um, we're trying to get over the, one of those over the line at the moment.
0: So, I suppose, you know, with, with a new budget, quite potentially, there could be uh, certain interpretations that you want to go, you know, you, that, that could could evolve out of this that where uh, you need to apply for those sorts of things?
1: Normally, if it's affecting a particular taxpayer, um, then you would normally only go for a, a private ruling. Right. Uh, and uh, a class ruling is more, for example, we've got a, a company that's going through a Uh, distribution of funds from the company to its shareholders and a company wants to ensure that all shareholders uh, have got certainty in terms of the tax aspect of of how that distribution is going to come out, whether it's assessable or part assessable or it's a a return of capital. Um, And so the tax office can give those shareholders certainty in terms of how that um, distribution is going to be treated. Uh, the company is actually applying for a class ruling in relation to uh, that distribution, so uh, all shareholders can then rely upon that ruling and not have the fear of the tax office treating that distribution in a different manner. Okay, but you, do, you get a
0: lot of private rulings as well.
1: Yeah, we do. We do, and, and that, that's, uh, that affects a particular taxpayer as opposed to a, a broad range of taxpayers.
0: Okay, all right. Listen, we will pop you in uh, in our waiting room. And sure. we'll just introduce uh, our next guest, uh, David Gandolfo. G'day, David. Good How are you?
2: Very well. How are you going?
0: Very well, indeed. Now, David, afternoon. It is afternoon, actually, yeah. Uh, David doesn't necessarily need uh, introduction to many of our viewers or our regular viewers, that's for sure. But, uh, David, you're now the Chair of Advocacy at CAFPA, as well as uh, holding down a day job as a partner at Quantum Business Finance. Um, you've been doing a bit of travelling this week. I have. I was in Canberra the other night for the federal budget, uh, went to the budget
2: dinner, and uh, to which the Prime Minister and Treasurer spoke, and this morning I was uh, at another breakfast where the, the Treasurer was speaking uh, and had an opportunity to uh, ask some questions there. And I, uh, we also, at CAFPA at the moment, are in the process of, in the middle of our uh, PD, or Product uh, or Professional Development uh, Day uh, series, which is right around Australia. We've just concluded the East Coast, so I was in Sydney during the week as well, and we're off to Adelaide and Perth uh, in the week after next. Wow, uh,
0: that, that, that's with professional uh, development, all that sort of stuff. Yes, and that just just uh, that's CAFPA, which is obviously the Commercial Asset Finance Brokers Association, uh, which is the peak body for uh, for equipment finance brokers and and uh, business finance brokers uh, more generally. And what about uh, what about in, in, in your day job, the one that actually puts food on the table?
2: Well, it's been it's it's been a fascinating year. I mean, obviously, no one needs to. I don't need to describe what a year it's been, but uh, I can tell you that it's coming back. And, you know, we provide finance to small to medium-sized businesses, and our April figures were better than pre-COVID April figures. So uh, even though we had you know a terrible year last year and it was uh, very challenging, not just in the, in the demand for finance side, but the supply side as well, and there is still a, a problem with the supply side in terms of earth-moving assets and, and vehicles and, and new equipment. There's also a bit of a logjam in uh, in the banking system in access to credit, which we can talk about um, and for which ad, uh, CAFPA advocates. But on the demand side, you know, people are very, very confident. Interest rates are very, very low and there's incentives and, and some of them have been extended uh, in the budget. Uh, so people are out there spending money, the businesses that did get through COVID, and uh, there's a great deal of confidence out there, which is fantastic.
0: Yeah, I must say that uh, you know our our pipeline is definitely uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's v- much larger you know in the last couple of weeks than it's been historically. So there's there's a lot more inquiry, um, a, a lot more people seem to be doing stuff. And I know that in your space, uh, I, I know that's interesting what you, what you said about April being. Uh, Higher than pre-COVID, and you're not the first uh, first broker that's told me that. So uh, that's interesting. And now the other thing is when you and I used to work together 30 years ago, David, believe it or not, <laughs> um, actually I, I I met a broker that you and I had had done a bit of work with 30 years ago. I'll tell you another time, but uh, uh, this week, but um, we didn't have this uh, this this thing called uh, file pickup time. Um, but that's now become a sort of a metric within the banks um, as to how long it's going to take before they pick up a file. That's something that you guys are working on.
2: Yeah, look, to their credit, you know, all the banks are working through that. And uh, it's been a consequence, uh, not it's not a, not their fault, not of their doing, but it's been a consequence of more regulation and more processes that they need to go through and verification, anti-money laundering processes and things that know your customer, those sorts of processes. And they've had the same problem that we've had. You know, you've had people working from home that would normally work in teams and where they can normally workshop an issue or a problem between them, or there's always someone to ask if there's something they come up against. They can't do that if they're working from home and they kind of hesitate. So it's not that they're not working on it, but the whole process has been terribly disjointed. And We are certainly very, very keen to get everyone here at Quantum Business Finance back into the office and we've mostly got that. Uh, And we've got capacity to do things from home that we didn't have previously but we're really really keen for the banks to get everybody back on board and have them and, and have their continuity of flow of work so they do pick up files quickly I know that in the mortgage in the residential mortgage space you know, my colleagues and friends in the MFAA are, are working very, very hard with uh, with the banks there and in the resi mortgage space I know it has become a bigger issue than it is in ours but certainly turnaround times on loan approvals and on settlements they were terrible during COVID, but they're coming right back, and they're actually getting close to reasonably normal times now. Last year, around June, we had a real issue with people wanting to claim the instant asset write-off and literally missing the deadline—the June thirty deadline—if they didn't have things in by, say, tenth or thirteenth of June.
0: Yeah, I guess uh, I guess one of the issues in in banking, in particular, when you particularly when you look at interest rates as being as low as they are, uh, I guess one of the major costs. In providing finance is people, you know? And uh, I, I suppose it's they've got to balance uh, throwing more people at all of this compliance or or otherwise just things are gonna take longer to, to keep the pricing down. It's obviously a hyper competitive environment, I'm sure that comes into it as well. Listen, we'll uh, we will bring Gino back. Hi, David. Gino. Gino, how are you? Nice to see you. Nice
2: seeing you.
0: Now, um now Gino is our is our panel expert today. um so we, he's the guide, and David, well, certainly I'm one of the bluffers. Uh, maybe David's sort of halfway in between, I'm not sure. But uh, um, so Gino, I thought what we might do is just step through. Uh, step through your guide, and you can sort of uh, fill out uh, a little bit about it, and 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 David can sort of give his perspective um, from a from a commercial finance broker's point of view. Um, there, there's a couple of things. Starting off, there's a couple of uh, tax and superannuation highlights. Uh, I mean, it, when it comes to the tax breaks, uh, we'll, we'll talk about accelerated write-off in a moment. But leaving that aside, um, yep. anything anything sort of uh, that that small business people should be particularly interested in when it comes to tax and super.
1: Um, well, I guess there's a lot of things in there which uh, affects them as owners. Uh, so not not so much from from running a small business, but just being a uh, you know individual who pays income tax. Um, there is that extension of the uh, low and middle income tax offset, uh, which uh, I know everyone was has always been quite uh, happy about getting an extra thousand dollars in their in their refund if if they're you know within the income limits. So. That's, uh, that's had an extension, which is, which is great, um, which gives more people, particularly at the, the, that level, that they do spend um, tick, uh, most of the money that they earn, um, some additional monies to actually spend. So um, so that's obviously a positive thing. In terms of some of the minor things that impact on business, um, the removal of the $450 uh, monthly limit uh, where superannuation kicks in uh, will probably uh, be uh, in, will probably impact some businesses, particularly um, owners of businesses that may actually pay uh, under a certain limit to actually avoid super, or if they've got casuals in their business that um, earn less than $450 a month, uh, and they were getting away with not paying any superannuation. That's obviously going to impact on them, and. The penalties in actually not complying with superannuation uh, guarantee obligations are quite draconian. So um, uh, they want to make sure that when that new le- legislation does kick in, that they do actually put their systems in place. Uh, thankfully, a lot of the payroll system uses the, uh, are, are what guides most um, employers, uh, but that's obviously quite important for them to actually get their housekeeping right going forward so that uh, they do pay super on on all wages so so, so that's
0: really uh, that 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 450 thing dollar thing uh i guess helps them stop treading on any sort of admin landmines that that suddenly incur penalties over over yes. uh, really traffic and that's just just be so before we turn the page uh, on this guide is, is there anything in there a, a lot of people uh you know, every year there's, there's small business people that are looking to retire and sell their businesses. Is there right. anything in there affecting people, you know, either in the income tax or capital gains or superannuation affecting decisions for people selling their businesses?
1: Um, well, in terms of uh, superannuation contribution, one of the, the positive aspects of this budget is that um, uh, people can actually continue to contribute into superannuation even if they don't make the work test. Um, up until now... There's always been a work test for contributions made over uh, recently 65 uh, but now over 67 up until the age of 74 so to actually make a contribution into superannuation um, you actually had to satisfy the work test Uh, so what the government has announced in the budget is a removal of that so uh, people who actually do sell um, businesses or, or, or actually have monies that come to them after the age of 67 when they do cease uh, employment and they no longer satisfy the work test uh, they will still be eligible to actually contribute monies into superannuation which i think is a a, a great benefit um, especially given the fact that you can then access the super uh, basically almost straight away so that's that's a very welcome uh, uh, inclusion within this budget.
0: Okay. David, uh, sort of before we move on to the other areas, anything in there about uh, personal tax or super that you think is particularly of interest uh, to your clients? Uh,
2: well, I'm happy for Gino to be the expert because my PI cover doesn't cover me for uh, talking about tax. <laughs> uh, uh, one of the, uh, the the immediate thing for uh, the, the $450 uh, exclusion on superannuation guarantee or removal of that exemption, uh, it, uh, it's going to be a pain point for a lot of small businesses, particularly who have got casuals, and you think of Baker's Delights and places like that. But uh, I also know that, you know, largely those taxpayers or those workers uh, are often women, and they're certainly often students, and uh, and everybody should be able to access it or gain superannuation on every hour of work that they do. So I know that it's a problem. Uh, I'm on the board of, well, I'm actually a past board member of uh, COSBO, the Council of Small Business, but I'm certainly very active in that board. And there's been a lot of discussion around those t- that table about uh, the benefit uh, or otherwise of uh, the removal of that thing. But ultimately, I think it's a good thing for the end user.
0: Okay. And you and I were talking a little bit earlier, uh, obviously, the the home builder, uh, has been extended uh you know you and i aren't necessarily in the home loan business but nonetheless uh one of gino's comments here uh, in his report was that uh one, one of the one of the reasons are extending this or well, maybe even the key reason is to support jobs in residential construction sector so uh i'm sure you'd be financing plenty of tradies and their and their utes and their uh, their diggers and all sorts so yeah it's certainly the
2: the, the home builder scheme is very very positive because, as you say, yeah, we're not in the in the resi finance space, but we're certainly in funding businesses that build those those properties, and there's also in the infrastructure space, there's fifteen million dollars in uh, road rail and infrastructure projects that are uh, ongoing in the budget. So uh, it's those uh, projects, and that's actually what's helped us, I think, in that throughout this period, when it was clear that we were going to head into a recession, it was also fairly clear that we we're going to head out of it fairly quickly because of all the infrastructure projects that are on at the moment. Home builder adds to that and helps that. So uh, it's not like previous recessions where there was no money around or interest rates were high. There's tons of money around and interest rates are low, and there's plenty of work on. It.
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, there's plenty of money around. All right. Uh, okay. All right. well, let's uh, let's move on to Gino's report. He uh, uh, well. Before I do that, anything on home builder that you want to sort of throw in there? through Ten cents worth, Gino. The uh,
1: yeah, I mean the, the the good thing about home builder. I mean the, the government um, uh, knows that there's a lot of people who have actually saved up quite a bit of money uh, during the, the, the pandemic, um, and as a mechanism to try and get people to actually put their hands in their pocket and actually um, start, um, you know, supporting jobs. Uh, you know, the, the the home builder or the home ownership funding package is actually quite beneficial for that. Uh, but it also links, links in, and I know I know we're going to speak about the instant asset write-off. Um, but the other thing is also the loss carryback rules, and that uh, you know you can have a lot of these tradies who can go out and and and, and buy an asset and uh, fully depreciate that, and uh, you know to the extent that they're in a, uh, a company, a lot of people have have corporatized their, their businesses. Uh, if they go out and um, you know. Get a, a, another couple of utes to support a couple of extra employees to to help with the, the building boom, which everyone's expecting with this, um, and that creates a loss in a particular year because you've got that benefit of the instant asset write-off. You can't actually uh, pass that loss back. Well, to well, well let, let's
0: let's let's deal with these one at a time. So we'll start off with the extension to temporary full expensing. Uh, which is what uh, you've put that in your uh, in your report as. So sure. so you've, you just 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 a quick recap of what you just said there, what that actually is. So this is the 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 hundred percent tax
1: write off. Yeah. So essentially, um, and we're talking about almost every single Australian business being able to qualify, except for the very large ones. Uh, the the threshold uh, is five billion dollars in turnover. So um, so. I would, I would think most people who are watching this program would, would fall within that category. Yeah. Um, and it, essentially, it just allows a straight 100% write-off of an asset. So if you go out and you buy yourself a Bobcat and it costs you $150,000, um, then you get a $150,000 tax deduction straight away. Uh, similarly, if, if you go out there and you're buying yourself a ute for $40,000 uh, or two utes, if you've got two new employees and you're spending $80,000 on, on, on that, uh, you get an instant deduction rather than having to claim the depreciation over, you know, what, what is normally a, uh, a five or even a 10-year period for a lot of these types of assets. You get the, the benefit of actually depreci- uh, getting 100% depreciation in the year of acquisition.
0: Well, uh, finance brokers certainly love all that, and I'm sure that, David, I'd be pretty surprised if you hadn't been lobbying for an extension um, to that. And, of course, we were saying before, that's assuming you can get your hands on utes. But what are your thoughts on this? Uh, we, we had it
2: in our uh, pre-budget submission, which we lodged in January, and it was in previous uh, pre-budget submissions as well. It's not just uh, the extension of the instant asset write-off that we've asked for. We want a permanent investment allowance. And, uh, in fact, at the last election, we, we supported Labor on their investment guarantee. But it's not just that. Every every 12 months, every budget, the Treasurer announces an extension to instant asset write-off or this, a scheme like this. For another 12 months what we'd really like is to have that scheme in place for the next three years and in this instance we know that it's out to 2023 but in normal circumstances we want it out uh, to three years and then if they want to make a a good announcement every 12 months perhaps they can extend it beyond that period uh yeah. each subsequent budget uh, but uh, it's there is an anomaly though which I, I might just point out we have raised this with treasury that it doesn't extend to higher companies uh there is an exemption for higher companies and if you run a private business and what it's intended is for the big hire companies not to claim the asset write-off uh, in full. But right. if you run a business where you've got a structure of a, a trading entity and a holding entity, and the holding entity owns the assets and leases them across to the trading entity, uh, you may not get the deduction in that entity in that instance, and you've got to buy your assets in your trading entity. We've raised that with the treasury, and they're looking at it.
0: Wow, that that's that, yeah. I mean, a lot of companies structure themselves that way, don't they? You've got the asset and holding entity and the trading yeah. entity. Yeah. Know wow. Necessarily that that's uh, that that's in there. Wow, yeah, I hadn't hadn't thought about you. There are a few tricks. Uh, before we came on air, you know, we were talking about when we should downsize our homes. Uh, you know, we've got to wait till our wives hit sixty and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, there's a couple little tricks. I guess that's why uh, Geno earns uh, all all the big bucks. All right, well, coming uh, coming on to the next uh, the next one, we've got extension of temporary loss carry back offset. So, do you want to just uh, explain that to us, uh, Gina?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, the, the um, loss carry back offset it was put in place essentially during the COVID period um, so that companies could carry back losses that they were expecting um, companies to incur during the pandemic and, and in the period after um, and allow that loss to be, uh, rather than just carried forward, to be used against future profits to actually carry that back and offset it against profits that the company has made in prior years. So essentially uh, we've just completed the, um, the 2020 financial year, um, and we're almost completing the 2021 financial year, both of which have been particularly impacted at various times uh, for a lot of people, particularly in the tourism hospitality uh, industry, um, uh, by COVID restrictions. So to the extent that they've incurring losses in these years, um, then, and they've made profits in the 2019 financial year, uh, they can then carry that back and recoup some of that tax that they've paid in the 2019 financial year. Okay. The budget measures that they've put in place is to extend that by a further year. So, essentially, any losses that have been generated or made in the 2021 20, or 22 and 23 financial year can be used to offset any income tax that's been paid in the 19 financial year onwards. So uh, if you've made a profit in the 20 financial year but a loss in the 23 financial year uh, and you've broken even in the middle, then you can use your loss in the 23 financial year and carry that back and recoup the the income tax that you've paid in the 19 and 20 financial year. So extending that out by an extra year gives companies the ability to, um, claw back some in, uh, some income tax that, that otherwise I would have to wait until future profits to actually generate. So that's a again it's a positive measure, and when you actually couple that with the instant asset write-off, you can have a company that would have otherwise have made a, for example, a two hundred thousand dollar profit in the twenty twenty-one financial year. Um, they've invested in you know three hundred thousand dollars worth of uh equipment purchases that gets the instant asset write-off, they can actually generate a $100,000 on loss in that year and they can use that to actually recoup some of the, the income tax that they've paid in prior years. So
0: Yeah, so they're not missing out yeah. on any of the benefit.
1: That's exactly right. So, I mean, the, the, the two actually work very well together yeah. uh, in actually allowing companies to, to go out there uh, and particularly if they're in a, a good position. Uh, or they're they're benefiting from post-COVID booms, such as the the, the housing sectors, um, then you can actually go back and and, and recoup some some prior-year profits and actually generate some some losses by using the instant asset write-off provisions.
0: All right. Uh, David, uh, I can just see uh, brokers all around the country selling losses to the bankers, uh, saying, yeah, no, the loss is a good thing because we're going to carry it back.
2: Well, if you if you understand credit properly, and you don't just look at the profit and loss at the bottom line, you actually understand cash flow. Then there's nothing wrong with it; it's it's fine. I actually think it generates a question to Gino. Uh, if you've got you're going to have companies that have uh, depreciated assets or written off assets uh, that would otherwise have been uh, carried on the balance sheet. So you're going to write, write down the value of businesses. Is there going to be a kicker at the other end of this, where you know you sell your business and there's going to be a huge capital gain, or uh, does uh, you it know, have a future tax cost uh, by taking advantage of these schemes at the moment? And, and I'll also say that it's, before you answer that, it, it, it just goes to show that there's literally nothing left in monetary policy. There's no, it's exhausted. But and all the stimulus is fiscal policy, which is fine. But it just means that it's a little bit artificial. I'm just wondering what the, what the future consequence of it will be.
0: Well, let, let, let's let answer. You know, if you can answer the question, we'll get to the philosophical stuff in a minute. <laughs>
1: Um, there, I mean, David's right. There is that sting in the tail. I mean, if, you, if you're buying an asset and you, you turn around and you've got zero tax cost on that asset, then essentially all of the sale proceeds are going to be subject to income tax when you sell. Now, right. um, uh, that is the, the, the flip side of the equation. But in terms of stimulation, which is what the government is trying to do, Uh, you're buying an asset and most businesses would buy an asset and then hold on to it for, you know, a period of time to get the economic benefit of actually acquiring it. I mean, you wouldn't go out there purely to buy an asset to get the tax deduction because that's not smart business. You're talking people who would be smart in business who would otherwise be looking at investing and they would hold on to those particular assets for a period of time. And in a lot of cases, you know, you got a tradie that thrashes a you. You're not going to get much for it at the end of the day, anyway. Um, so well, that, what... that's right.
2: Uh, it would otherwise have been written off, but it is is a question that we get from clients quite often because they're getting those deductions. And and I can promise you, guarantee you, in my you know many many years of doing this, that you know low interest rates are you know they're good, but tax treatment is the biggest incentive and it motivates people to upgrade assets and, and alter them. And if and you're not going to buy something just because you can get a deduction on it. But if you're thinking about it, uh, there's an incentive, uh, particularly as each financial year rolls around. If you've got a profit that's uh, uh, that on which you're going to pay tax and there is the ability to acquire a new asset, increase your throughput capacity and reduce your tax, people do it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, it's it's
0: very interesting about the sting in the tail, of course, because as you say, you're basically 100 percent depreciating the asset. So I guess whatever you sell it for is all capital gain, virtually, isn't it? So, all right. Well, look, uh, uh, Sule uh, has preempted our next bit. He said, uh, "Budget extended powers of AAT to pray uh, to pause or modify ATO debt recovery." Another hit delay for the insolvency profession. Uh, so. Uh, <laughs> Our liquidator friends are uh, obviously concerned that uh, no one seems to be thinking about them in any government policy setting. But that does bring us. Uh, thank you very much uh, for pointing that out, Sulo. Um, that uh, is a lovely little segue into our next, uh, our next uh, headline here: extended powers for uh, the Administrative Appeals Tribunal to pause or modify ATO debt recovery. So, um, what does that mean, Gino?
1: Yeah, I mean it. it it's targeted for the, the the smaller end of the of the market because there is a uh, aggregated turnover threshold limit of $10 dollars. $10 sorry, on uh, on being able to access that, but if you do fall within that particular um, uh, area uh, SME area, then essentially small businesses will will actually be able to uh, apply. Um, to the AAT to actually pause the ATO debt recovery process. Um, So if there's a genuine dispute about an actual uh, uh, debt, tax office debt, um, then rather than dragging it through the the courts and being subject to potential um, uh, liquidation uh, in terms of not paying an assessment, um, then uh, the the small businesses will be able to actually grant or, or be able to access a stay in terms of of that through the AAT, so
0: so small businesses will be able to better manage their their tax tax debt.
1: Yeah, I mean, if there's a dispute in relation to a tax debt, rather than getting the lawyers involved and then, and and having potential of uh, of threat of, of liquidation going over your head, um, because the tax office tax office has got the ability that if if there is a valid assessment out there. Um, then they've got the right to, to call upon that debt and, and, um, and bring in liquidators if necessary. But, uh, so, so, this,
0: so this applies to disputes or just to tax debt
1: generally? It's uh, for um, debts being disputed. Disputed, yeah. Okay. So yeah. it's
0: not... Uh, so Sule doesn't need to get too downhearted about it. it it's, it's only disputed debts. It's, it's not necessarily... If you've accumulated, you know, you haven't paid your PAYG for six months, uh, there's no dispute around that. And so, yes, uh, thing, uh, thing, yeah. so yeah. Okay. So, so uh, okay. Well, the glass is half full there, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> they So don't uh, they don't despair too much. And now, David, we were talking a bit earlier. I know that at one stage, I think either with uh, Cosbo or CAFPA, you you had a, arranged a bit of a powwow uh, with uh, was it Josh Friedenberg and the banks around trying to get them to better understand tax arrears and not that it necessarily isn't the bogeyman. We did get Josh together with the banks. One thing that CAFPA has been very good at, if
2: you have a conversation with government and they're saying one thing and you have a conversation with the banks and they're saying something else, then we put them all in the same room and it's amazing how that conversation starts to work out. But we did. it wasn't, Josh, on the tax front. It was uh, Deb Jenkins, Deputy Commissioner of Tax at the time for small business. And uh, our view, and, and I'm very much on the side of the tax office with this, uh, there's, there's loads of businesses. We have tons of clients who have tax arrangements. Uh, And it's not because they can't pay their tax, it's because it's a fairly cash flow effective way of paying your tax over time, particularly during a pandemic when you're looking into the abyss and, and a lot of arrangements were entered into prior to JobKeeper and no one knew quite where things were headed. But unfortunately, banks and lenders collectively take a very, very dim view of tax debt. and I think that's a legacy thing from perhaps previous governments and that misconception that the tax office ranks ahead of other creditors, and that, that hasn't been the case for a couple of decades. Uh, but we did uh, get them all together. I can tell you that in any given year prior to COVID, there are 800,000 tax arrangements that are entered into. There's about 600,000 of them that are current at any given time, and there are less than 2,000 that end up in dispute. So it's not exactly a high risk to you know uh, shore up your cash position uh, and hang on to cash that you would otherwise be giving to the tax office and you can't get back uh, at a fairly low interest rate if there is interest charge, rather than going to another bank or extending your overdraft and diminishing your cash reserves. So it's it's a strong argument. It's an argument of ours and it's a policy of ours that uh, and we can't unfortunately change bank thinking and bank lending, but we do try to do that in terms of their attitude to tax debt. But the one thing I would say is in the current environment, uh, taking on a tax arrangement is, is like a cancer on your credit report, and it's a, and it stands out on your balance sheet. Lenders look for tax portals, and what they're looking for is interest that you've paid to the ATO. Why was that? Uh, so you actually are, in fact, better off to perhaps not take the arrangement with the ATO, but to take it elsewhere.
0: Yeah, I guess it is a bit of a double-edged sword. All right. Um, and, and just uh, any, any sort of further comments on those tax arrangements? Again, not where there's disputes. I understand, Geno, you know, that obviously you, you, you're sort of involved with uh taxpayers as a, uh, you know people who are making a lot of money and are looking to to find uh to make sure they're interpreting uh, interpreting the tax laws correctly but do you get involved uh where there's uh, people in arrears and are trying to manage their debt
1: yeah i mean we, we, we deal with the tax office i mean for example uh, anyone who who um uh who lodges an objection uh is disputing a tax debt um yeah. so, uh, so, so, those sorts of things do come about, even in, in uh, you know companies that are actually quite um, uh, uh, quite prosperous and, and are, are making money. So, uh, <clears throat> so it, it, it's one of those genuine things that that will will assist. Um, um, as I said, you, you do need to be a small business to actually fall within the the, the recovery powers or the pause um, under ten million and. For a lot of those taxpayers, uh, as David said, you know some of those things uh, for uh, clients can be quite daunting. They they hate dealing with the tax office. Uh, they hate going through the litigation process. They, it can be quite expensive and quite costly for them. Uh, AAT is is a cheaper version rather than going through the courts, um, but it does actually give them some sort of comfort to know that they're not going to be uh, uh, you know have have a liquidator or someone appointed. Uh, whilst they do have a genuine dispute going on with the tax office.
0: Okay, all right. Listen, we, we're beginning to run out of time. So just very quickly, we've got fuel tax credits, heavy vehicle road user charges uh, increased. Um, now, uh, just in, in, just for, uh, very quickly, what does that mean, Gino?
1: Yeah, well, a lot of uh, a lot of heavy road users or, or you know, um, from production um, people do actually get a credit on their fuel tax. Um, it's it's a way of lowering the, the, the costs. Um, it, it's fairly specific in terms of being able to el- uh, access the um, eligibility rules for fuel tax credits. But uh, the increase in the fuel tax credit rebate will come as a, as a welcome thing for a lot of businesses that do uh, rely on, the, on, that, um, on that money coming back.
0: Okay, and uh, David, uh, brokers love uh, financing stuff that uh, drinks fuel. So, uh, any any thoughts there? Does that does that make a difference uh, to you, to your day to day or to your clients? It doesn't
2: make a difference to the to the day to day. No, but uh, uh, anything that changes their operating cost uh, you know has a has some kind of impact on us. But uh, but no, it's it's very much downstream from. Well, it's, it, it's not within our regular line of sight
0: yeah okay all right look well, let's uh, look none of us well i don't think any of us are, are macro economists but uh, let's just, just a, a sort of by way of closing uh let's just get a little bit philosophical uh there's there's when you look at the budget last year where they thought they were going to be versus where the budget is this year um uh, there's there's 100 a 104 billion dollar improvement um so Now, so so there are hundred if you if you get that. So they where they thought they were going to be as to where they is a hundred and four billion dollar windfall if you want to call it that. Six percent of that they're spending this financial year, seventy seven percent next financial year. So they're more or less handing that windfall back. You know, David, you made the comment before about uh, fiscal policy. I mean, you know, when we were kids learning economics at school, it was fiscal policy or monetary policy. But of course, these days we have money printing, MMT. uh you know are we go- are you are you worried about uh thank you very much for your comment there chris arnold uh, a long term friend of lunch money and uh, personally as well um y- are you concerned david about is anyone talking about inflation uh if, if there's inflation you think interest rates are going to go up uh you know we, we- I was saying before, iron ore in the budget is at $55, uh, the spot price at the moment is well over 200 brokers are forecasting a 100 so there's a bit of give there. Um, what, what, what are your thoughts generally at a macro level? And we'll do that by way of closing, and then I'll come to you, Gina. Right.
2: Uh, there's a couple of points there. The, uh, the iron ore price, I mean, that, that's going to provide some headroom if it doesn't actually sink to that $55 level, which would be good. Um, what... One of the things that stuck out to me the other night in the budget is that it's going to get deficit will get to a trillion dollars, and I know that you know interest rates are historically low, and you know we're going to pay less in interest than we did in the early '90s for the borrowings that we that we took up then in that recession, uh, but we're going to have a trillion dollars in debt, and I don't know what the time frame is for actually repaying that and. Uh, uh, one would hope that um, we turn this around reasonably quickly so that that can be repaid. But because there's so much liquidity in the market, and particularly from the US, there's talk there of interest, increasing interest rates. And whilst we don't have a, a domestic requirement to increase interest rates, and the Reserve Bank Governor has said that uh, that's not on the cards, if it starts to happen overseas, by uh, by the nature of international markets, that will have to start to happen here. So uh, if we've even a 100 basis point increase Uh, is going to hurt some people who have forecast and budgeted on interest rates that are historically low.
0: Yeah, well, David, you and I met each other and worked together uh, in the recession that we had to have, the anus horribilis, as the Queen described it, uh, and, you know, we saw really high interest rates. uh, And, uh, you know, if you're borrowing for your home at, you know, 2.5%, and that's going to go to three and a half percent. That's that's a significant increase. What do you think, um, Gino? Philosophically, there, are we is is this debt insurmountable? Are you worried about interest rates for inflation?
1: Well, the the amount of money that we're we're going to go into deficit, as uh, David said, it is going to be basically a trillion dollars. Um, it ultimately needs to be paid back, and so, um, but that's that is in the future. Um, uh, interest rates can't stay at. The historical low rates forever. I think everyone understands that, um, but there will always be a shock in the tail when those interest rates do start going back up again. Uh, and you know, we saw uh, it was only what two nights ago the 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 Dow dropped, I think, two percent because there was interest rate fears on on inflation. So um, uh, inevitably, it will you know happen here as well. Uh, we do have to pay back the debt, so taxes will probably need to. Uh, to, to to rise um, uh, or collections, uh, you know, as proportion of GDP, will need to rise to to pay that back. Um, um, but the focus at the moment uh, is whether it's because there is an election around the corner or, or, or not. But the, the focus is is to make sure people have got jobs. If people have got jobs, then people start paying income taxes, and people start spending. They they consume and they, and they you know kick in GST and everything else like that. So. Uh, it's it's one of those things. You sometimes you need to spend the money to actually get the economy kicking, so that the tax receipts can just um, uh, can flow on from that. Uh, one thing we don't want to be is is a position like you know Europe, for example, where uh, you've got historic debts as a percentage of GDP, um, uh, unemployment is is considerably high. Uh, And, you know, you've got negative interest rates because no one is spending any money. So uh, I think Australia is very well placed in relation to our um, uh, economy uh, that, you know, we will be driving unemployment down. um, And uh, but I think inevitably there will be that interest rate rise uh, um, because inflation uh, won't stay at its current levels and it's not designed to necessarily stay at, at such low levels. Um, and it's something that we will need to deal with in the future.
0: Okay, yeah, look, uh, you know, uh, I guess these days, again, when, when we were all at school, I guess we were learning, uh, you know, Keynes and, uh, uh, you know, uh, and monetary theory and all that sort of stuff. These days they're teaching MMT and under MMT, you know, de- deficits just don't matter at all. But uh, that, that I've, I still don't quite understand all that. But listen, uh, I reckon that you know, between the two of you, I'm not going to give myself any credit. Here, but we have delivered just such a punchy guide for small business owners. We've, we've we've sorted through all the all the all the palaver. We've done it without any boring graphs. Um, so this was indeed the bluffer's guide. But if you want a little bit more meat on the bones, you've got the you've got Gino's Hall uh, Chadwick. Um, guide there. And I'm going to, if you don't mind, Gino, you know, in when I do the LinkedIn summary of today, I'll put a link to that. And uh, so people can go there to see that. David Gandolfo, thank you very much once again for coming on Lunch Money. Gino, thank you so much for uh, making your debut and, uh, and helping us out.
1: Not a problem. Always a pleasure.
0: All right. Well, thank you to everybody who's been watching. Uh, we'll do it all again next week. Don't forget to share, like, or subscribe. See you later.